0: Good evening. You may remember in the middle of last year there was a news story on TV and in the radio and papers about a jet in Queensland that had to do an emergency landing on its belly. Uh, You might remember it was an F 111 fighter jet and it took off, but one of its wheels was left bouncing along the runway. And um, so they had to kind of bring it back in and do an emergency landing. Uh, What caught my attention about the whole thing is the way that the Air Force dealt with the problem was very clever. See, after the um, offending wheel was bouncing off down the runway, what they did was they instructed the pilots of the plane to, to just circle around in the air for three hours. And meanwhile, back on the ground... They got pilots and navigators together in a flight simulator and they looked at all the different scenarios of how to land the plane. So is it better to land with one wheel, with the other wheel broken, or actually have the landing gear up and land just flat on the belly? Um, Should we put the aircraft carrier hook down and try and catch the plane with a piece of um, wire rope or should we just kind of let it skid along the ground? Um, What kind of approach should we do? How low should we come in? All those things. And so when they'd worked out the best way to land the plane... They talked the two pilots in the air through it all and then three hours later and after three practice approaches they landed the plane perfectly on its belly. No one was hurt, just a few sparks, everyone was safe. One of the pilots from the plane said it was great having the guys on the ground working with us as a team to come up with a solution. The plan worked well. So the key to it all was the pilots knew exactly what to do even though what they were going through, they'd never done before. In the 30-year history of the um, RAAF, um, of the F-111 fighter jets, this had never happened. But because they were all prepared for it and the ground crew had talked them through it, they were ready. Now, I reckon that's not too different to what's been happening in John's Gospel because Jesus is preparing his disciples for something that, well, they have never been through. They have just had the surprising announcement That Jesus is going to die and now he's preparing his disciples for what lies ahead and we've been seeing that over the last three weeks haven't we you know he wants his disciples to trust him he wants them to be comforted by his promises he wants them to remain in him after he's gone and bear fruit but so far in these three weeks in looking at John's gospel it's all been about Jesus and his disciples so last week and the week before, love one another. Well, in today's passage, Jesus goes on to talk about how his disciples should relate to the world after he's gone. After Jesus goes back to the Father, what will day-to-day life be like as a Christian in the world? And he basically spells it out in chapter 15, verse 18. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first if you belonged to the world it would love you as its own as it is you do not belong to the world but i have chosen you out of the world that is why the world hates you see there's two groups of people on view here jesus puts every single human being on this planet into one of two groups either you're someone who's rejecting jesus and Jesus calls them the world, or you're someone who accepts and follows Jesus and believes in him, and they're not given a name, Jesus just calls them you, my followers. There's the world out there and there's you, my disciples. You're either for Jesus or you're against him. Two groups. And notice the division is not based on whether you go to church or not, or whether you're a religious person or not. In fact, we'll notice down in verse 24 and 25 that some of the people who most hated Jesus were religious people who read the Bible. That's not the division, whether you go to church or not. It is whether you follow Jesus or whether you don't. And Jesus is preparing his disciples for life in a world that hates him. Verse 20, he describes a bit more what it will be like. Remember the words I spoke to you? No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat me because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. Now that, that is exactly what happened. Jesus' followers were hated by the world. Not because of their personalities, not because they were kind of people, if you, if you met them, they, they just rub you the wrong way. Not because of what they wore, not because of how they acted, simply because they chose to follow Jesus. Verse 21, they will treat you this way because of my name. They were hated because they chose to speak out about Jesus. And if you want to follow that, you can read it in the book of Acts. In Acts 2, Peter stands up in front of this huge crowd. He talks to them about Jesus. 3,000 people get converted. But not long later, Peter's put in jail. And he's told, stop talking about Jesus. Don't use that name. And then in Acts 7, Stephen stands up and he talks about Jesus. And he gets stoned to death. But the disciples don't stop. They keep going because they knew that was what was coming. They were ready. They were expecting it. Here Jesus is preparing them for it. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. And now we find ourselves here 2,000 years later in Australia, a fairly tolerant country. We put up with a lot here, don't we? Do you find all this hatred talk a bit strong, uh, that Christians will be hated? Do people hate Christians in Dubbo? Maybe there's another question that we should ask first. Do Christians hate Jesus in Dubbo? Sorry, do, do people, I hope Christians, does the world, do people still hate Jesus today? Well, the answer, of course, is yes. The world still hates Jesus. It might be a polite hate. No, thank you, I'm okay, I don't need to hear about that. It might be that people suddenly stop being interested in the conversation if you mention Jesus It might be that people avoid talking to you because they know that you will talk about Jesus. But people don't want to talk about Jesus. And the reason they don't want to hear about Jesus is because they hate him. They don't want God running their life. Jesus exposes their sin. Look at verse 22. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. Now, however, they have no excuse for their sin. See, to hear what the Bible says about Jesus is uncomfortable because it exposes our sin. People don't want to hear it. And because it is uncomfortable, people won't want us to speak about Jesus. So if your greatest desire is that you want people to like you, then don't bother talking to people about Jesus. If you want to be popular with everyone, well, don't bring up Jesus in the conversation. In fact, that's why it's tempting, isn't it, to be quiet about Jesus. You feel people's defenses go up and it's tempting not to talk about Jesus. We need to ask ourselves, if we're really living for God, why so much are we keeping quiet about Jesus just for the affirmation of other people? I mean, it's natural to want to be accepted. It's, it's natural to want other people to think positively of, of us, isn't it? It's good to be liked. It's nice to walk in on a room, it doesn't happen much, and hear someone saying something positive about you. It's terrible to walk in on a conversation and you catch someone saying something bad about you behind your back. But we can't let ourselves be manipulated by the fear of what other people will think about us if we talk about Jesus. We don't need to fear what they think. They're not the audience that we're performing for. God is our audience. He's chosen us out of the world. He's warned us the world will hate us. It's going to happen. Get over it and get on with talking to people about Jesus. Instead of thinking, what will this person think about me if I talk about Jesus? How about thinking, what will Jesus think of me if I'm too embarrassed to admit that I follow him. We need to place God's glory and the salvation of our friends and family as above, above our own embarrassment. See, following Jesus and keeping it quiet is not an option, is it? In fact, Jesus goes on to show us that in the next verse. Even though Jesus' followers will be hated... Jesus goes on in the next verse to command them to keep speaking out about him. Look at verse 26. When the counsellor comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. The disciples here have been with Jesus from the beginning. Now, in that sense, they're a little bit different to us, aren't they? They were eyewitnesses of Jesus. We weren't with Jesus from the beginning, so we don't really uh, come into the picture here in, in the room in John 15. But we do come into the picture a little later, don't we? In Pentecost, uh, God, Jesus pours out his spirit on all believers and the gospel spreads through all believers. And if you're a follower of Jesus, when you first heard the gospel and when you believed, Jesus took you out of the world and he gave you his spirit and now you are still here living in the world to testify about him. But don't worry, you're not alone. There might be opposition, but God has given his spirit to help us. Look at verse 5, chapter 16, verse 5. Now I'm going to him who sent me, yet none of you asks where you're going. Because I've said these things, you are filled with grief. But I tell you the truth it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the counsellor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. For the third time here, Jesus promises that after he goes to the Father, he will send his spirit. Now we've already seen that what the spirit of God does in the life of believers. He helps us to remain in Jesus. He causes us to bear fruit. He, he reminds us of the truth. Well here in John 16 we see spirit to the world, to unbelievers. The spirit will show the world that they are wrong. Have a look at verse 8. When he comes... He will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. See, there's three things that the world is wrong about. There's there's probably a lot more than three things, but Jesus here sums it up in three things. The world is wrong about sin, the world is wrong about righteousness, and the world is wrong about judgment. Those three things are in fact a great summary of the gospel. Let's look at them. The first one, the world is wrong about sin. Now the world is wrong about sin, isn't it? Because most people think that sin is about doing stuff wrong and um, but that's not what the worst thing about sin is. Sin is not so much the stuff you do but your attitude to God. Sin is that you reject Jesus. Look at verse 9. He will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin because men do not believe in me. See, sin is to not believe in Jesus, to turn your back on God. That's why the gospel is not about pull up your socks and start living a good life and being a good person and God will be happy with you. The gospel is about turn around, repent and start believing in Jesus. So if you're not a Christian... What God is most angry about is not so much the things that you do, but that you have rejected him and his son. And so the Spirit, as we speak to people, will convict them of that, that they haven't believed in Jesus and that that is sin. The second thing that the world is wrong about is righteousness. And the world is wrong about righteousness because they think that that righteousness, that being right with God is about being a good person that's what most people think isn't it I'm a pretty good person, God will think I'm okay, I can be good enough for God, I'm better than people around me that kind of thinking is not righteousness that is self-righteousness that is pride that is sin in fact that very kind of thinking is what led to the self-righteous leaders of Jesus' day killing him They thought they were okay, they were obeying all the rules, they didn't want Jesus telling them they were wrong, so they got rid of him, they they killed him. And that very act is the proof that their righteousness was wrong. Look at verse 10. The Spirit will convict them in regard to righteousness because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer. Now remember we've seen going to the Father means that Jesus is about to die. So the leaders of Jesus' day were wrong about righteousness and we see that because it was their righteousness that led them to kill Jesus. In fact, Jesus has already talked about that a lot in chapter 5. A particular telling verse was verse 39 of chapter 5 where Jesus said to the religious leaders, you diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. See, righteousness doesn't come from being a good person or even from reading the Bible. Righteousness comes from Jesus. And when the Spirit comes, he will convict people of that. He will convict them in regard to sin. He will convict them in regards to righteousness. And the third one... He will convict people about judgment. See, the world is wrong about judgment. What does the world think about judgment? Well, I think it probably thinks there's no judgment. I think that's what was happening here. Jesus was talking to his disciples. Judas had betrayed Jesus. Peter had denied Jesus. It might have looked like judgment would never come, that evil would just go on and on and win. It might have even looked like that. It was better to be on the side of the devil, the prince of this world. That's what Judas decided. He left Jesus for dead. But Jesus says that kind of thinking, that judgment will never come, is wrong. You can't make that mistake anymore because when Jesus rose from the dead, the devil was defeated. He doesn't have any power anymore. His judgment has already come. He's condemned. Verse 11 Convict the world in regard to judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. See, people are wrong to say that they won't be judged. The prince of this world has been judged and so too everyone in the world who continues to reject Jesus will be judged too. The world is wrong about those three things. Sin, self-righteousness, and judgment. And so we need to call on people to turn from their sin, to trust Jesus, and to escape the coming judgment. And the comfort is, as we speak to people about Jesus, the Spirit will speak through us and convict people. Because, did you notice in verse 7, when Jesus sends his Spirit to convict the world, he's not sending his Spirit upon the world He's sending his spirit to you, to his believers. So the way that the spirit will convict the world is through us. As we speak about Jesus. As we speak to the world that hates Jesus, the spirit will convict people of the truth through us. Now do you see the comfort of that? Sure, as we talk to people about Jesus... They may, may not want to hear it. They may hate you for it. But the Spirit will use it to show them the truth. And in the end, it's not up to us to convert people. We simply need to talk about Jesus and who he is and the Spirit will do the rest as he chooses. And some people, because of our testimony about Jesus, will pass from death to life. See, these are meant to be words of comfort. Because yes, life will be hard as a Christian. And if you choose to speak out about Jesus, you will be alienated. But don't give up. Don't keep quiet about it. Don't be afraid of people. God has chosen you out of the world to belong to Jesus. But he's left you here in the world (laughs) to witness to people about Jesus. Look at the final verse, verse 33. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you'll have trouble but take heart, I have overcome the world. Let's pray. Father God, we um, confess that all of us on our own have no hope without your son. Father, we are just so full of self-righteousness and we don't want to think there's anything wrong with us. And So we just thank you that you've humbled us, that you've led us to see the just the terribleness of that path that we're on and you've brought us to the point where we could realise that we have nothing to offer you, and that we've come to Jesus and asked you to forgive us. And Father, we just, having tasted of that, we would love other people to be saved. And Father, at times it can be so frustrating when people don't want to hear about Jesus. It can even be surprising. But Father, here you're telling us to expect it. And so we pray that when we come against people who who make us feel awkward or embarrassed or make us want to um, keep quiet about Jesus, we pray that we would see that that's the very reason you've left us here. We pray that you would give us the courage to speak about Jesus boldly. Father, we pray that this week at work and at home and at school, wherever the opportunities arise, to talk about Jesus, that our desire to see you glorified and our desire to see other people saved would be far greater than our the fear of our own embarrassment father we pray that we might boldly testify about jesus and all that he's done for us and as we do that we pray that your spirit might take people from death to life and lord we pray these things for jesus glory amen